Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Valley Church of the Nazarene. We are located at 228 Madison Avenue in Monte Vista, Colorado. I am Pastor Chris Yoakum, and I am so glad you have tuned in to listen to this message. I would also love to invite you to join us on Sunday morning for our small group discipleship classes starting at 9 a.m. for all ages, and our worship service starting at 10.15 a.m. We have many other activities and Bible studies throughout the week. Please visit our website at valleynaz.com and our Facebook page for more information. Our prayer is that you encounter the God of the Bible and come to know the joy of salvation through Jesus Christ, that you be equipped to engage the world for Christ. Thanks again for listening, and may God bless you. This week's podcast features a message entitled, Living in Babylon, the Need for Rescue, from Daniel chapter 3. In this message, we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remain faithful and experience a miraculous rescue. May the Lord bless the preaching and hearing of His Word. Thanks for listening. I invite you to stand this morning. Turn with me to Daniel. Chapter 3. We honor God's Word this morning. Daniel chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 90 feet high and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, This is what you are commanded to do, O peoples, nations, and men of every language. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to, the, to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, 
Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipes, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue, rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, asked his, his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be the, to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Father, we thank you for this account that has been delivered to us this morning. And even though it happened a long time ago, it is fresh and new this morning. We know that your word is relevant to us. I pray this morning that you would attend with us, Lord, as through the preaching and hearing of this word, that we might be able to receive this word, make room for it, and be better prepared to be faithful like these, for you are faithful. You are the God who saves. Bless us, we pray. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So what an account. I must admit that this is one of my favorite Bible stories. What an account. It stirs my heart. I hope it does yours as well. I want to make note this morning that in Daniel, in chapter 1, 
we see Yahweh's superiority and dominion over the educational system in Babylon. In chapter 2, we see Yahweh's dominion and superiority over the religious system of Babylon. And in chapter 3, we are going to see Yahweh's superiority and dominion over the governmental system of Babylon. In chapter 4, we will look at God's complete dominion over Nebuchadnezzar. And so as we look at this, we want to see it from that aspect. It is the nature of it is the nature of government to grow and become too big and become oppressive. It's the seems to be the nature of government. Even though government is something that is instituted by God, um, we have seen time and time again almost every government becomes oppressive, too big, unwieldy. It is just the, the nature of it. Even, even we saw in Israel so often the government became very oppressive. Because alas, there are no leaders that ultimately follow God completely. And so we, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, we have to live within a context of government where oftentimes it does become oppressive. We know that in our world today, I'm not sure that it is completely un unprecedented, but religious persecution, especially persecution of Christians is, I mean, it's on the rise. It's, it's uh, very, very strong. Um, if you want to look it up, you can, you can look it up. Look at the Voice of the Martyrs and many other sites where it chronicles persecution. But it is rampant in our world. Christians around the world are facing tremendous persecution for their faith. During uh, China's Boxer Rebellion of 1900, the Boxer Rebellion of 1900, insurgents captured a mission station, blocked all the gates but one, and in front of that one gate placed a cross flat on the ground. Then the word was passed to those inside that any who trampled the cross underfoot would be permitted their freedom and life, but that any refused would be shot. Terribly frightened, the first seven students trampled the cross under their feet and were allowed to go free. But the eighth student, a young girl, refused to commit the sacrilegious act, kneeling beside the cross in prayer for strength. She arose and moved carefully around the cross and went out to face the firing squad. Strengthened by her example, every one of the remaining 92 students followed her to the firing squad. Wow. This morning, I could, I mean, we could, I could bring in story after story of faithfulness in the face of persecution. But we see here in this particular story the great faithfulness of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And I, I know that this gives us, as I've said, perspective so that we can be ready. Because just like they were in a, in a dark place in a nation that did not honor their God, a nation that was syncretistic and polytheistic. We live in a, a, our own nation in a world that is increasingly hostile to monotheism or to believing in, in one God or there's only one way. But as I have said, 
Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they knew the best way to serve Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, as God had told them to do, was to be faithful to him. But they had a responsibility to not yield in the face of threat or death, but to stay faithful for the sake of the name of their God, but for the sake of the land in which they lived. And so what we want to look, as we, as we look through this chapter, we want to see how it is that they remain faithful. So let's get into this. So first of all, this is a lot of information. I'm not going to be able to touch on every single thing. There's a great study. And since I am preaching Daniel, not necessarily teaching Daniel, there'll be a lot that, that will be left, left unsaid because we're going to try to get through chapter 3. But I'm going to try to get at the heart of what chapter 3 is letting us know. So let's look at the image of gold. It was most likely overlaid with gold because there wouldn't have been enough gold in Babylon to produce a solid gold figure. Most likely it was a human figure rather than just sort of, of like a... Um, a pole or something, or, or is most likely a human figure. Most likely to depict the god Nebo, who was Nebuchadnezzar's um, favorite god. That's who he's named after. We don't know that for sure. I'm not being dogmatic on that. More than likely, that's what it was. Perhaps, maybe, it was a reaction to Nebuchadnezzar's dream that had been interpreted by Daniel, in which Daniel had said, Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom is going to crumble and blow away like chaff, and you are going to fall away. Maybe rather than understanding that God's in control, Yahweh is in control of His, his nation, perhaps He decided, you know, I want, I want to solidify my kingdom so that doesn't happen. So perhaps this was a reaction to that, and maybe it was a test of loyalty. Maybe He set this up to see, I want to make sure that everyone is completely loyal to me, and there, there's no chance that uh, we'll have anyone uh, who might who might bring my kingdom to an end. Perhaps this was what he's thinking. We're not sure. But you'll notice the list of all of these things. You, we have this mentioned several times, the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all other provincial officials. They were, they were the government. They were the government. You had governors and lieutenant governors, advisors and treasurers, judges and magistrates, and other provincial officials, which would have included Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now, remember, they were, they were counselors and advisors to the king, but after what happened to Daniel, because of Daniel, they were promoted, and so they would have been in a higher place in this government bureaucracy, and so they would have been summoned to this. They would have been part of this government system. All of these individuals assembled at the king's command. Make note that Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah did not refuse to come, or, and they did not hide out. They had to have some sense of what was going to happen. Don't you think that they'd be like, well, I'm, I'm going to be sick that day. <laughs> I'm going to call in sick that day, right? No, they, they, they came. They came at the, the king's command. They showed up. And then, in order to get the, feel the weight of this situation, you have this idea that they stood before the image. So, you can see it. You've got masses of people standing before this image, okay? And Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, along with everyone else, showed up at the king's command, and they stood before this. So, you, ha you can just picture the scene. 
mass, this mass of humanity before this image. Can you imagine what that must have been like for these three in that crowd? They're there. They have honored the king's command up to a point. They, shoo, they showed up. They're standing before this image, looming and pervasive, right? I want to take a brief moment here just to give you a thought. What are some of the images that we face today looming and pervasive? Political, political correctness, social justice, sexual perversion. Think about some of the things that, that we are facing, right? So many things once upheld by cultural pressure, but now backed by government force, right, and threat. Things that have been put into the law, the government now is backing them saying, you have to submit, you must do this, you must follow this, you must bow down. And so I want us to make sure that this morning as we go through the story, we feel the weight of this, this mass of humanity, everybody ready to capitulate and give in to this command to bow down and worship. And yet, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah know that they cannot, and yet they're here at this moment. Folks, we are here at this moment, okay, in this nation. We are here. We wish we weren't here. We wish that these things hadn't happened. We wish that somehow we'd have been delivered from these things, but you know what? They're here, and the pressure is on. Let's think about the music for a minute. The music, it's, it's interesting, you have all these various musical instruments, so, you know, Nebuchadnezzar has brought out the, this major band in order to be a part of this. It's designed to promote unity of worship, right? Everybody can hear when the music sounds, then everybody knows, all right, that's the cue, get ready. Music has a unifying effect. Music has a psychological effect. It's amazing the way that music the effect that music can have. I remember when I was a chaplain at a nursing home in Aztec, New Mexico, um, one of the things that we began to use is music therapy, which is a, an amazing thing. You'd have individuals who were lethargic and, and, and um, you know, their mind was not working properly and they were, they were very, um, um, you know, their mood was not good. But if you could take music that they, that they knew from their past, maybe from their... their uh, younger days, and you began to, to share that with them, it's amazing the transformation that would begin to happen. It had an effect on their brain, had an effect on their mood. I mean, it was amazing. I mean, we, had, uh, we watched videos of it, and I, and I saw it myself, the way the, the effect that music had. Music has an amazing effect. That's why we sing here at church, right? It unifies us. I mean, how many, how many times have you had a song come to mind, maybe a hymn, right? And it's great, beautiful words, and you can remember them because of music. Music has a great effect. It brings us together. We worship. It's amazing, though, also that biblically we know that uh, we get the sense that Satan was a worship leader. So, Satan knows the effect that music can have. Music can be used for both good and evil. And it's amazing to me the way our culture, you have not only Hollywood, but the music industry it's amazing how music is being used to, to bring people 
together, not always for the best things. And it's amazing the way it can be formative in people's minds. It's amazing the way that people can begin to change their thinking simply by being affected by the culture, entertainment, and music. Satan's very crafty. And I believe part of that's why the music was being used. It was a way to unify everyone around this worship. It was going to have a psychological effect. And in this particular case, it was going to be used for evil. Something to think about. Let's think about the furnace for, for a minute. Probably placed near the image to intimidate. We don't know that for sure. It could have been a smelting furnace. Um, but I believe probably it was. It was, was placed near, near this image, near the place where the people were going to have to worship. Probably had an opening at the top and bottom. The non-compliant could be thrown in. And then everyone else could see the destruction. It was obedience motivated by threat. Folks, do you feel the weight of that in our culture? Right? Anyone who steps out of line, they're made an example of. That fear motivate compliance. That's what these people were facing. That's what Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were facing. The peer pressure of the crowd, the king's command. The realization that probably this was going to be the end of their, not only their careers, but their life. And it says in verse 7, all the people... Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the people, nations and men of every language, fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. All the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshipped except three. There's no hiding in that crowd. Everybody else falls down to worship. And like a sore thumb sticking out, here's three individuals who are not bowing down. Turn with me to Revelation real quick. Keep your place there, Revelation 13, just to make a connection, just to see the relevance of all of this to our day. Revelation 13, 7 through 10. This is speaking of the, the beast. And we know, that, we know that Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon was a type. We know that Rome was a type. All of these different ones are types. We know that there are other, others that are going to come in the future, others that are looming. Revelation 13, starting with verse 7, he, the, the, the beast who was uh, under the, the power of Satan, was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them, and he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear to hear, let, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints.
And so we see that this particular instance is, is sort of the way it goes with these government, these beasts, these powers, something that has happened so many times in the past and will probably happen in the future. Everyone fell down except three. Everyone is going to worship except those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Are you ready to be the minority? Am I ready to be the minority? Folks, I can tell you right now that our world is, I mean, they're doing everything they can to marginalize, marginalize, marginalize. If we can get down to a lowest, uh, a small enough number that we can then target, that's what happens. That's what happens. Are we ready to be the minority? Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah were a minority of three. Let me just take a brief moment. Some, some may wonder why Daniel wasn't part of this. We don't know. We don't know. Perhaps he was away on business elsewhere in, in the, the province of Babylon. Maybe he was sick. Um, maybe he was not expected to bow down to the, the image of gold because of his position. But one of the things that gives credence to this particular story is the fact that Daniel's not here. Because if you were making this up, certainly you would put the number one guy in this story. But the fact that he's not there probably just says he wasn't there. And the person writing the story was not going to put him in when he wasn't there. So it gives credence to it. But here we have these three who are here. Now let's look at the tattletellers. <laughs> Don't you love tattletellers, right? Growing up as a kid, you're doing something wrong, and, and really somebody should speak up and tell mom or dad, but they do, and then they're a tattleteller. You know, you shouldn't be a rat. Snitches get stitches, I don't know. It's just the way things are in this world, right? Tattletellers. Notice that it says some Chaldeans, it, it uses the word um, astrologers in my particular version, but my footnote says Chaldeans. So these were, these were basically, um, they were the native, native people, native citizens who came to the king, right? They knew that they would probably get a, a greater hearing because they were, you know, they were all kin and family and, and part of the same nation. And it says some Jews, and the language there definitely does, um, does speak of their derogatory way of speaking of them. Some Jews, they're foreigners. These foreigners, these Jews, some Jews, not part of us, not part, really part of our nation, some, some Jews, some foreigners, that you appointed, they said, right? These natives were jealous and bitter about the promotion of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Folks, let me tell you, there's, be ready for that in our culture as well. A lot of what motivates people's hatred is jealousy. We need to be ready for that. It happened to Jesus. It happened to the disciples. It's going to happen to us. It happened to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were jealous. But then it says that Nebuchadnezzar, he was furious with rage. He was furious with rage. This seems to be a... a, a um, a point of Nebuchadnezzar, he seems to be able to, to, he seems to fly into these fits of rage. And so at this, he, he, he is, he is out, outraged at what Hananiah and Mishael have done. He summons them, 
And again, if, if it was difficult in the crowd, the fact that they didn't, they didn't fall down, think about the courage that it took, then now they know, here, here goes, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe we kind of, maybe people didn't see us, you know? We're not sure what's going to happen. But now the king summons them. And at this point, we can kind of get a sense that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar has some, some affinity for these guys, you know? He doesn't want this to be true. He demands an answer. And again, it's not that, it's not that he is upset that they, they worship their God, for he had worshiped their God. But the fact that they would not worship his God, right? He wanted them to worship his God. The fact that they would not worship his God made him furious. Do you get that sense again in our culture? It's like, fine, do your thing, but, you, but don't, don't be exclusive to your God, right? That, that sense of syncretism and polytheism is even in our day. The fact that we say that Jesus is the only way, it is outrageous to our culture. And then he offered them a second chance. And then, folks, we get in. We see the, the, the question that Nebuchadnezzar answers, what God can rescue you from my hand? Folks, this, is, this puts, puts the spotlight on where Nebuchadnezzar is. He, had, he and Babylon had defeated Israel and Judah. He had defeated everybody. He was the greatest. His God was the greatest. Fine, you can worship your God, but my God is the greatest, right? And certainly... Certainly, he wasn't willing to admit that their God was the greatest. You see, the reality is, Nebuchadnezzar was an individual. Even though he was the, this tremendous leader that God had, had raised up for this time, but he was also an individual that must learn what God is the greatest, right? He has to learn this. We're going to see that, right? In chapter 4, he finally does. He has to find out what God is the greatest. There is only one God, and that is Yahweh. Compared to all the other gods, our God stands completely separate. Now let's look at the reply. Folks, this is our reply. Folks, if you want to have strength and be ready for what is coming, if indeed trial and persecution are coming, I pray that they're not. I pray that there's a great revival in our nation, and all of a sudden, there's something will happen to bring people back to God's Word. I have my doubts, but I know for sure we need to be faithful, so this, we need to know what they said. This is our reply as well. <laughs> the emphasis is on we. We do not need to defend ourselves. That's what they told him. Can you imagine the kind of courage it took to answer the king, right? He's ready to give him a second chance. They did not ask, oh, king, have mercy on us. Hey, can you make an exception for us? Can you imagine standing in that moment and answering in this way? We do not need to defend ourselves. This is why. Their act of defiance was not personal preference. Folks, can I, can I take a brief note to say this? We as Christians, we should be willing to bend over backward to be compliant to the government. And I know that's hard for us to say, 
It's hard for me to say, hard for us to think, but we are called to submit to government, to the authorities. We are called to do that. And if we are, we are defiant simply because of a, a personal thing, we cannot expect the same kind of help from God. Their act of defiance was an act of faithful obedience to their God. Folks, do you think it was easy for the Apostle Paul to appeal to Rome and go and be put in prison, all of that? He did not call for Rome's the overthrow of Rome. He was compliant as far as he could go. That's the way it has always been with Christians. It's the same way with us. We must be willing to comply where we can, but we will not be unfaithful to our God because we know that He ultimately is the authority. So their act of defiance was not personal preference. It was an act of faithful obedience to their God. That's why they said, we do not need to defend ourselves, okay? They had done it as a faithful act. They they knew that God was able to defend them. Then they said, if we are thrown into the furnace, verse 17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. In other words, their God can, He is able to rescue them from the furnace because He is greater than the furnace. We're going to find that out. Folks, let me tell you, if God decides to deliver us, there is no weapon formed against us which can come against, can, can defeat us. One of the great things as Christians is we believe that our, our life and our death is, are, are held in God's hands. Remember time and time again with Jesus, the people would be ready to stone Him, and they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. You remember when the Apostle Paul was stoned, and he got up and went back in and started, kept on preaching. Folks... We need to trust that our God is greater than any weapon formed against us. Our God can deliver us. Do not doubt that. We must not doubt that. Our God is able to rescue us. He is able to deliver us. They said that their God will rescue them from Nebuchadnezzar because He is greater than Nebuchadnezzar and His God. Ultimately, folks, that is we know that our God will rescue us. But folks, this, this is where faith is found. So many times, folks, we have circumstantial faith. I will believe up to a certain point. I will believe until it becomes too difficult. I will believe until I feel like God's not going to deliver me, then I, will, then I will give in. No, this is genuine faith. This is the kind of faith that God wants us to have. Even if He does not rescue us. From the furnace. Even if he doesn't, we know he's able. Folks, ultimately, God is going to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But folks, look at the look at Hebrews 11. God does not always deliver his people from the furnace. And they did not know at that point whether God was going to deliver them from the furnace. But they said, listen, we know He's able even if He does not deliver us from the furnace. We know that He will ultimately deliver us. Folks, this is the faith that has allowed the church to go forward in martyrdom. We know God is able. 
If He chooses not to deliver us from this circumstance, we know that He's able. We know ultimately He will. We put our faith in the God who's able. Jesus had to trust God past death, right? He was not delivered from death. If their God chooses not to rescue them from the furnace, they will remain faithful unto death. And so we see that Nebuchadnezzar flies to an even greater rage. His rage grew hotter and his attitude changed. He would no longer show any mercy. How could they be delivered now, right? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar now, I mean, now he's going to show no mercy to them, right? It's from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective, they have no chance. There's no chance now. I am I'm done dealing with you. I have every ability to destroy you, and I'm going to do it. He heated up the furnace and had his best soldiers tie up the prisoners, it says. Seven times hotter. He has his soldiers, his best soldiers bind them, right? It's overkill. Because of his fury and his rage, it's, it's overkill. I'm going to put my best soldiers, I'm going to tie you up. And he puts all their clothes on them so that, you know, that'll really catch them on fire and burn them good, right? The furnace is so hot that it kills his best soldiers. So great is the fury of Nebuchadnezzar. How could anybody be delivered from this? Look what happens. King leaped to his feet, verse 24. In amazement, asked his advisors, weren't there three men we tied up and threw in their fire? All of a sudden, there's appearance of a fourth person, possibly an angel, but more likely a Christophany, a pre-incarnate vision of Christ or appearance of Christ is the more likely. I, that's, that's what I choose to, to believe. It was Christ coming down to be with them. All four walked around unbound and unharmed. Don't you love that? The only thing that was burned was the things that kept them tied. It reminds me of in Acts when there's a great shaking of the earth and the, the chains fall off the apostles. Folks, our God is able to deliver us. And in this moment, of this very difficult moment, we have this great appearance of Christ for Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're walking around unbound, unbound and unharmed. Nebuchadnezzar calls them out. And then don't you love it? It says over in uh, verse 26, B and 27, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors cried around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. What a great story. What a great account. All of these government officials get to wit bear witness that, they, that the God of Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah has delivered them. Folks, even if we are not delivered from the fiery furnace, someday everyone is going to see the deliverance of our God. Even if the world should persecute us and kill us, take everything we have, ultimately all of the world will see the victory of those who are faithful. Here we have this great example of God delivering in this miraculous way. And we have Nebuchadnezzar's praise. He praised the God of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He praised them for their faithfulness. And then he curses anyone who curses their God. 
Folks, ultimately, we bear witness because we serve a God that is worthy and we are faithful to Him so that the world around will praise His name. And then Nebuchadnezzar promoted them to higher office. Isn't that great? (laughs) At every step, as they're tried to be destroyed, they're simply promoted. Stand with me this morning. I want you to hear our commission from our Lord. As we have looked at the example of these men who are faithful, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, if you can read that, I'll read it. This is the great commission that Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Folks, Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah had been given a commission to go to Babylon. Yes, in the worst possible way because their nation had been defeated. God had said, you're going to go and bear witness to me in this nation. And they were faithful to the call. We have been called by our Lord to bear witness for him and to make disciples and to build his kingdom. And he promised us elsewhere, we will have trouble, but take heart. He's overcome the world. And he promises here, surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age. He promises to be with us now. He promises to be with us in the fiery furnace. He promises to be with us always. We're going to sing Overcome. It's one of my favorite songs. I sing it so often. Folks, we, we overcome by the word of our testimony. We may be saved from the furnace and we may not. But we will be saved if we remain faithful We will overcome by the testimony that we have that Jesus Christ is Lord. Our God is the only God. Our world's going to hate us for it. God has promised, called us to be faithful. Destined to die, poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless one. He never sinned, but suffered as if he of honor and glory, worthy of all.
awesome and powerful Awesome and great is your name. You overcame. Power in hand, speaking the Father's plan. You're sending us out, light in this broken. All authority, every victory is yours. All authority, every victory is yours. Worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all our praise, you overcame. Jesus, awesome and power forever, awesome and great is your name. Overcame. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Everyone overcome. We will overcome by the blood of the Lamb our testimony, everyone overcome. Savior, worthy of honor and glory, worthy of all our praise, you overcame. Awesome and power forever. Awesome and great is your name. You overcame. You overcame. You overcame. Lord Jesus, you did overcome. And Lord, we know that in this life we can overcome because you overcame. Father, no matter what we face, and I know that there are people right now, there are folks right here in this congregation who are dealing with very, very difficult circumstances and there are trials and tribulations and there are stresses. But, oh Lord, we know that, Lord, you faced so much and you overcame. Your victory is our victory. You have given us everything that we need to be overcomers, to be victors, not victims. And Lord, we know this is a recurring theme in your word. I pray that we take to heart. I pray to be prepared. Lord, we have been called to bear witness and to shine the light, to be salt and light in our world. And you promise if they, they hated you, they will hate us.
Oh, Father, I pray that we would be faithful like Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, like Daniel. Oh, Lord, this, is, this world is so much like Babylon. Our nation oftentimes is like Babylon. We face these same things. And, Father, pray that we would not bow down. We would bow down to you alone. Oh, Lord, I pray, help us to be good citizens. Help us to do everything we can to benefit this nation and to be all that we need to be, Lord, and, and there are so many responsibilities. May we do that, but may we do it in such a way that shows our ultimate allegiance is to you, to your coming kingdom. Help us not to forget what we've heard. Oh, Lord, stir our hearts by these stories, these, these wonderful examples of faith, faithfulness. Stir our hearts. Oh, Lord, that we might also do likewise. Bless us now. Go with us as we leave this place, as we go out into this world. Father, may we be faithful. May we bear up under suffering, perhaps, under intimidation, whatever it might be. May we bear up under it and be, remain faithful. Bless us now. Dismiss us with your peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.